have you on and uh, get through my day so I can go out and play the rest of the day. Just <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Yeah. We have a board. Uh, well, a happy birthday, man. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited to have you on, James. For anybody that's listening um, or just joining or joins later, please feel free to like, share, comment, ask James any questions or chime in. Also, um, all of our content is available full length videos and edited content on Patreon backslash global association org. Um, I'll add it to the bottom of the screen. But James, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I'll kind of turn it over to you. I'd love an intro and to hear from you. How did you get to where you're at with biochar and what really drove you here? So, all right. yeah, I'm okay. curious. Yeah, no, I'll give you the thumbnail sketch because we've been doing this over 12 years now. It was supposed to be a six month project and now it's over 12 years and over 20 million into this thing. But uh, it started because I've always been into uh, alternative technologies, green technologies. My last deal was an electric bus company. And when that company sold, I had a little extra money and basically bought a bunch of property in the mountains in Colorado. I was one of those evil people because they can't seem to buy up a national forest, right? So we had like a 50 acre piece in the middle of it. Then all the trees died on me. So with the beetle, the beetle kill wiped oh, yeah. out Colorado. Yeah. Uh, so then it was, this company was trying to figure out what to do with the dead trees, They're trying to, because, you know, it's trying to figure out a way to make money off the dead trees. That way you could afford to clean up the forest. Um, and so um, basically <clears throat> I took some sketches on a napkin. Well, first I, I'd heard about biochar, like a lot of people hear about biochar. And, you know, I flew around the country trying to find a technology that I could just use. Well, after about the third trip, when, you know, the machines weren't working, I realized nobody had a technology. So we had to develop our own. And uh, so we've been working on that for a lot of years now. We've got 16 patents. Uh, we've uh, fully protected in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, and, you know, we've got a unique technology that produces a unique carbon. Uh, where we went different, uh, we discovered that the batch process would allow us to keep our product at temperature for eight to 10 hours, where the rest of the industry went with what's called fast paralysis. And they basically use what I call heated screws. They try to auger the material through a heat zone and it stays in that zone less than a minute. Well, if you're comparing carbons that stayed at temperature for eight hours versus a carbon that stayed at temperature for a minute, you can imagine there's differences at the molecular level. And that's where we come in. In fact, we're the only carbon that has formal approval by the government agencies that we have approval with and the federal government. Uh, no other carbon has all the approvals we have. Um, in fact, and then no other carbons have the properties that we have either. I mean, not to get too far into the weeds, but we make a really unique carbon that has very unique outcomes. So as we speak through this, uh, through this call and this video, uh, when I speak about biochar, I'm speaking about our carbon and our properties. I can't speak about the, the inferior products that are out there as residues from you know, people chasing oils or power or stuff, boiler ash is basically what it is. So, but that's where we ended up. And then uh, after we invented the technology, it was happenstance. I'm not going to pretend 
that it was anything but that. Uh, we didn't have proper controls on our first equipment and we went to temperatures you're not supposed to go to or nobody had ever bothered to go to before and it just makes a unique carbon with unique properties. And so now all the patents and all the controls we have basically are controlling that uh, screw up we made to begin with and come out with the product that we do. We also have some uses uh, patented, like uh, we have a patent to clean up mine wastewater, uh, acidic mine wastewater, both in the U.S. and Canada. We have a patent that cleans up algae blooms in the U.S. Uh, we work with all the major corporations on cleaning up Superfund sites and stuff. But on the hemp, where the hemp comes in is we also have a patent because we bind all the phosphorus that we come in contact with and the nutrients. So you know, in our raw state, you don't have to post treat it, you know, like some carbons, they have to add all kinds of chemicals to it to make it bind chemicals, which kind of doesn't make sense if you're trying to do an organic grow. So anyway, um, so we bind the nutrients, the easiest thing for the hemp guys to understand, and we've got plenty of satisfied customers that will vouch that we increase yield two to 300%. So the numbers are real. And, uh, so what happens is we, we're like a battery in the soil. We bind the fertilizers that they're putting out there and we bind the water. And then that's how we increase the yield. It just shows that when you're fertilizing and you're irrigating, you're washing most of your fertilizer out of the root zone. And we keep it in the root zone and release it to the plants. So that's the simplest way to explain the benefits in the hemp world. But uh, we do have, coming from Colorado, that's where we got our, you know, our street cred or whatever you want to call it. That's where we got all the scars across our back because the guys here, when uh, before it became legal and as it was getting legal, they were willing to try anything to get increased yield. And we actually were one of the things that worked. So anyway, that's a nickel version of our company. I can't, I can't hear. I'm sorry. Oh, that's my fault. I had a lawnmower outside, so I heard muted myself really quick so that you couldn't hear it. But I, I, I look at hemp as a small piece to what you're doing, and I'm sure you do too, right? When you when you talk about being able to clean up, um, what are they super? What are they called? Super something sites. Super fun sites, yeah. Yeah, talk to me about this because this is where you know we talk a lot about the tribes or water and a lot of my members that are involved in the tribe, the water rights and the cleanups, are, yeah. you know, big conversations. And I live in Utah where we've got a lake that needs cleaned up, <laughs> you know, and it's a big conversation. And so talk yeah. to me about how this work and what does it mean to clean yeah. up the site? All right. Well, what we do, we find heavy metals and toxins as well. We also bind PCBs and mercury and, uh, PFOS, we have a new test showing we bind PFOS with our product. So whatever toxin is out there, um, we can bind it up. We have data showing that. So what we've done in the past, uh, there's a lot of them I can't speak of because there's ongoing litigation. And whenever I supply product, you have to kind of keep quiet about it. But there was one big deal that was made public, and that is with DuPont. They had, uh, polluted hundreds of miles of uh, river in Virginia, 1929 or something, they built the first rayon factory. And uh, part of the waste out of that factory was mercury. And in the old days, they would just, you know, dump it in the river. That's what, you know, back in those days. And uh, then, you know, so the mercury never washed out. 
so what ended up happening, they did a bunch of testing. Uh, they were able to work our product into the river banks and stuff to bind up the mercury. And as part of the testing, they discovered our carbon bound mercury five times better than any other carbon they were working with. And we were a fraction of the cost. So it was one of those things where, and then they had to do animal studies where, you know, so they, there's a lot of work that was done on that one project that allows us to do a lot of things on other projects without going through the same work. So like the animal studies where the question becomes, okay, you've got the mercury bound up in the carbon. What happens if an earthworm is eating the carbon or this in the body and it goes through a fish and goes to a bird? They discovered that our carbon kept the toxins bound up through the digestive system. So the worst thing that would happen is maybe the carbon gets deposited a little bit further away from the site, but it stays bound out of the out of the food web. And so now we're working extensively with a bunch of Indian tribes, uh, Native Americans all over the North America, well, the U.S. and Canada's First Nations. I'm getting the terminology down, uh, but uh, you know, so like uh, we're working really closely right now with the Cherokee in Oklahoma. I mean, you know, our government, you know, they put them on a piece of land that was naturally a Superfund site. The whole freaking reservations led toxic. But uh, so we're working with them on the Tar Creek project. We're working. Uh, there's just a lot of projects we're working on with the Native Americans. So I haven't found a reservation yet unless it's the ones that happen to be located at corners of interstates with casinos. All the other reservations, they all seem to have a Superfund site on them. It's amazing. In fact, the in, the Native Americans told me 75% of the Superfund sites in the U.S. are located on tribal land. And a lot of it is uh, self-imposed. You know, the white man would dump chemicals out there and everybody looked the other way. You know, that kind of a stuff. Some of it's naturally occurring. Like the Cherokee, they were mining rock or chat. Well, come to find out, it was all extremely lead, toxic, the whole area. So as they were digging stuff out, you know, they were digging up lead, you know, uh, and then, and, and, and then the irony is uh, most of the bullets in the wars were, uh, you know, came off that, the, all those lead deposits and, you know, but then they, you know, they leave it there and, you know, then it's up to the Indians to clean it up. But uh, we're working through all that. It's been great working with them because, you know, there are advantages to working with Native Americans. You know, they have the <clears throat> Super 8A and things like that where <clears throat> they have the power if they exercise it to get things dealt with. It's the, Historically, they just haven't exercised it. Uh, and so that's what... Trust. Huh? You know, there's a, you know, we talk about good product and bad product and... Um, how do you know what product is, is good? And, well, and, and that's what they, they did a lot of due diligence. Now they understand the difference in what's a good carbon, what's a bad carbon, what the properties are. And they were actually looking to use hemp to remediate a lot of their areas. So now it's basically, it's a combination of our carbon and hemp that they're using to remediate some of the stuff. But even when you use the hemp and you're binding up some of these chemicals, what are you going to do with the hemp? when you harvest it, you know, in that situation. So it's a, the, the, our process of making the carbon can be a virtuous circle because we can use those raw materials. Okay. So when we talk about applying, you throw some numbers out 200 to 300% increase in yield is 
Yeah, that's what the guys down in uh, Colorado realized down around Pueblo. And really what it's showing is just how poor the soil was there. Okay. I mean, but even guys in greenhouses will get 30, 40% yield increases. But it just shows that when you're in poorer soils, which most hemp, they seem to be growing it in poor soils. That's why people get into the business to give a crop on poor soil. That just showing the how much the uh, fertilizer they're putting out there is just washing out of the field without any benefit. Okay, so talk to me about how it's applied. I've seen it, I've seen it, you know, on trucks yes. driving through the field, almost like like a fertilizer, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have four different sizes. Uh, we have a size that goes through a manure spreader. We have a size that goes through a fertile, uh, like a spinning wheel fertilizer spreader. We have a size that goes through air seeders, and we have a size that'll go through center pivots. So we actually, this is all the same product. We make it in a larger chunk. And then we beat it down into smaller sizes and screen it out. So depending on what equipment the local farmer has, we have a size that goes through that equipment. However, they're currently applying, whether they're applying manure or applying commercial fertilizer, we have a size that will go through their equipment. Because you, you can't be offering a product that requires a special piece of equipment. So we, we have, it, you know, we can, whatever they have, we can fit to what they have. Okay, so when I was at NOCO talking to your team before you got there, um, and, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but as a consumer, how do I know or where do, where do I go? What do I look at to know if I'm going to explore biochar as an alternative um, you know, for fertilizer or for my farm and crops? It, from appearance, I understand there's something to look at as a consumer to know whether it's the good carbon or bad carbon or work or not going to work. Can you kind of break that down for consumers or for, yeah, yeah for any yeah, I mean, customers? No, I mean, basically, I mean, if you dig deep enough, you'll discover we're the only one that's even approved by the EPA for production and release into the environment. But that's more focused on large corporations and governments. But the simple test, like uh, if somebody buys a five gallon bucket off of Amazon, a, I can tell you right now, it's not going to be high quality, but B, um, the easy way to test is um, you actually, it's called a soap test. Or I'll tell you what, there's two tests. Basically, put it under light. If it shines, it's good carbon because bad carbon will still have oils and nasty stuff still on the carbon. So it'll be dull. It'll be dull. So if you see if if you put it under a bright light and if it sh really shines like a diamonds or reflects like a mirror, then then all the bad stuff is off the outside. Then to see if the stuff is out of the inside, you literally can take it and just rub it in your hands. And if you can wash your hands with water and it becomes clean, then that's an easy test as well. You know, the carbons you'll find in like on those little five gallon buckets or whatever, they're still full of oils and tars. And, you know, you don't know what's in those things, you know, because there's it could be toxic. It could be clean. I'm not going to, you know, there could be an organic, but it could easily be toxin. California passed state legislature to regulate the quality of the carbon because there was one company importing crap from uh, Vietnam and Russia and they poisoned people's fields. They called it biochar, 
but they literally poison fields and won't be good for decades now. You know, so they had to pass some laws regulating the quality, but they still, because everything has to be fair, they backed off the quality so far, it still allows some bad carbons out there. But if you do the soap test and the light test, you know, anybody can do that. And basically, if you wash it off, it just, you know, you can, and it just makes logic. If there's some oils and stuff left in there, you don't know what's in that stuff. And it's well, not. I was, I was amazed how clean it was as I ran my hand through it. I mean, it's, and it is, it's shiny. Each little piece is reflective and shiny. And it was a great, um, yeah, education, especially as we, I mean, biochar comes up all the time in our group now. People are constantly yeah, yeah, and that's the easiest test to do. It, and it pretty much, if you've got it, it's shiny. I mean, it just it's a it's a way with your own eyes you can see if there's any oils or tars or creosotes left in the carbon. And if you do, if that's still in there, it could be toxic to your plants. Yeah. No, oh, it's going to be toxic to the environment, but it also could be toxic to your plants. What drove your passion to get into this? Like what really has, I mean, you've been in it for now for a minute, but where did you really get in and say, Hey, I've got something that's a real solution for. Well, <laughs> when I made a homemade kiln and we went, like I say, the temperatures got away from us and a friend of mine is a master gardener, an acquaintance. So, you know, I had, you know, this is 12 years ago. So you were reading stuff on the internet that, oh yeah, this stuff's supposed to be good for plants. Well, I gave her a bag of it and she didn't trust me. Uh, so she took it to the local college and they came back to her and asked her where she got it because they couldn't recreate it in the lab. And then the next week I had senior executives from the, the top people at the Colorado Forest Service on my land trying to figure out how we made it because they were saying, you know, this could be a solution for the beetle kill problem because it gives a market to waste wood and since then it's gone from there and and you know like anything we sell to the ag industry it's certified organic but we've carried this technology to such a level now that we're the only paralysis technology right now that's approved by the government to destroy treated woods and we turn that into a pure carbon as well that actually meets European food standards, but I'm not stupid enough to get into that PR battle. So uh, we, what we use that carbon for, like we can destroy railroad ties, utility poles, and not destroy, we convert it into carbon and we break right. all the emissions. But uh, we use that for plastics additive and concrete additive. So we can get rid of the treated woods as well. That's So we've even carried the technology to that level. Um, but anything we sell into the ag world is from uh, the trees come out of a national forest, or you have to be able to trace the tree to come from a clean source to claim organic. And so everything we sell into the ag world or the hemp world is organically certified. Awesome. Um, okay, so where do you see this going? You know, where you're at, where you've been, and kind of this journey. Um, understanding the cleanup is such a big concern and mm -hmm. I see so many concern or concerned consumers, you know, really worried about sourcing and, and what's clean and ethically, you know, what are we doing to our planet? Oh yeah. No, in fact, uh, the, uh, we're always getting visits by news people. In fact, I just did a, uh, 15 minute video that'll be, um, we just turned it in. It'll be aired by the Worldwide Earth Day on Earth Day, oh, cool. Earth Day.org. There'll be over 10 million views. 
I have to do social media advertising. I don't know if this counts, but I mean, you know, if they hear, you know, but it's, uh, but so we're being sought out. This year's Earth Day is on regenerative agriculture, and we've been highlighted as the company, you know, as a company to be broadcast worldwide. So there's just so many things. I mean, the regenerative agriculture movement, carbon credits now are very valuable uh, that we're, we're being sought out by a lot of uh, industrial companies, all the oil industry, they're trying to figure out their carbon strategies with this new administration and everything we produce counts for carbon credits is carbon negative. So we're just, we're like a 12 year old overnight success. And uh, we're basically, we've got a bunch of contracts overseas now. Um, we're expanding globally. Uh, we're raising, we're finalizing a massive uh, financing for our global expansion. So it's it's been a unique journey. I mean, you know, we're still fighting off the, the people who don't know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's one step, well, it's two steps forward, one steps back because, the, the we have really have to ramp up as we move forward we're going to have to ramp up education and around the through opportunities like this so i appreciate it because what people get interested in carbon or biochar and then they get a bad batch of stuff it kills whatever they have and you know they get a bad taste in their mouth when if it's done properly it really can uh save the world heal the world and that's the theme uh, that one of my investors put on the company because well feed the world heal the world because we can greatly increase yield of crops but we can clean up the mess and when you're at well, i think what is it nine billion people now or whatever we are and we're just growing exponentially we got to clean up the mess we got to feed everybody and not take up too much more land but you also got to clean up the mess and like we're, we're working with all these neat companies. Like there's one company we're working with out of Canada. They've come up with a patented process to take cattle manure, which there's 275 million tons of cattle manure in this country and feedlots, if you can imagine. That's just an astronomical number. But that's the manure that's in the feedlots. Now, go get, it's gets spread on farm fields or whatever, but it doesn't stay in the root zone. It all ends up in the water table, basically, and down in the Gulf, and you got a dead zone or whatever. But they've come up with a patented process to use our carbon, combine it with their process, and they come out with a fertilizer pellet that concentrates the nutrients seven to 10 times. And we bind all the nutrients to where they don't leach. And because their process throws off, they can sell electricity from their process, they end up with a organic manure pellet that at the same cost as regular manure. So there's all these neat little technologies that are coming along that are ready and they're commercially and commercially available and they're going out to market that will be game changers throughout the world, you know, and clean up the messes while we're increasing the food supply. And it's, it's an interesting little, interesting little deal, you know, and it's very, very extremely cost cost effective. I mean, we're cleaning up lakes with uh, from algae all around the country, pennies on the dollar, pennies on the dollar. Like this, uh, lately you saw this lake down in Florida that's leaching all this pollution, right? The dam's about to give. We could have cleaned that lake up for less than a hundred grand. And now they're saying they need 200 million just to repair it where it quits leaking. It's like we could have cleaned the whole damn thing up for a hundred grand worth of product. So yeah. what, do you think, what do you think needs to happen to bridge this gap? You know, as 
more and more, and I think you've said this and probably experienced this, right? Where you're almost discredited because the cost is not $200 million. Oh, that's, yeah, that's exactly, it's happening all over. Uh, we've put in proposals uh, like state of Ohio to clean uh, the, the Maumee River. It, it, we didn't even get a response. They didn't even dignify us with a response because our costs, I mean, I can only guess why. Same thing like uh, on other major projects. And that's another reason we're working with the Native Americans because the Native Americans could just cut through all that BS. You know, they get first dibs on some of these contracts. And uh, so that's the way we're gonna have to go around it because there was one project we bid there it was going the government had four billion dollars allocated to clean up we bid 50 million and they wanted to spend the four billion you know so we were discounted out of that because you know so it's just the reality of the world but with, with the native americans see we can clean up the superfund sites for pennies on the dollar so now the native americans are getting to choose how they spend their funds and they want their land clean. They don't want dirt just moved from one area to another. So, so things are working, you know, the guys I work with, with Native Americans, they call themselves the first environmentalists. So they they have a different viewpoint toward it. They want it cleaned up because that's their homeland. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that this goes to the value of what you're doing and the research and being approved and understanding the difference and because, because like you said, it takes one bad apple and then. Yeah. Yeah. No, and then, then you, then you get everybody else, you know, that have bought uh, some black boiler ash because the boiler didn't quite consume it all the way. They, Oh, I've got biochar too. Yeah. Well, so then we have to go back and reeducate that, that consumer, but you know, it's, 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 it's going, it's going like we've got, we're hitting critical mass. We've, our customers have cleaned up probably over a hundred water bodies nationwide so far in that niche. Uh, the fertilizer pellets are coming online. We've got major projects uh, with concrete and with asphalt additives. So, I mean, things in plastics. Uh, so a lot of things are starting to come online. It's just been one of those things where, you know, you, as long we had to focus on corporations that did testing, as long as they actually test, we win. You know, I can't sell against some guy selling snake oil on Amazon or anything like that. And I don't try to. We'll just re-educate those people later. But the large corporations, as long as they test, we win. And that's what we focused on. And now they finally are hitting critical mass because everything we do, each market, we either outperform the incumbent at the same price or we clean something up at a fraction of the cost before. Each market's a little bit different. Well, and you had mentioned, um, you know, a lot of times it's you're coming back in after another one has already failed. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I've got I've, I've stood in boardrooms of major lawn care companies and got crucified because the last biochar they tested killed everything in their greenhouses. Well, you know, so and then the wood makes yours different. So then you have to go through the whole process again and start from testing from scratch, which it's great, but I've been at this 12 years now, and some of those testing cycles lasted five, six, seven years to prove what you were, the claims you were making. Because then it's like, oh, well, these results are so good, they must be wrong, so let's do the test again, which is good. I mean, it's like we've gotten through it all now, but uh, 
And, well, you know, the education, the education yeah. is the piece that takes the longest, right? If everybody's doing it right, it's easy to sell your product because everybody knows about it. That's it. <laughs> well, even like in the hemp world, I mean, you know, everybody that uses it has great results, but then they all keep it secret to themselves. It's like, okay, well, I'm not sharing my results with anybody. I mean, so, so basically, I mean, I do have a few farm managers that will share their results, but even there, it's like, you know. Unless they post something on Facebook, they never tell anybody anything about what we're doing. <laughs> Isn't that so true? Uh, especially in this industry. And well, and that's kind of why we built what we did on, as far as our association and having as many of these education series is really to provide opportunity to talk about it and figure out what works. I'm tired of hearing farmers say they lost and there's someone right next to them that did the same thing the year before that we could have helped prevent just by Let's share what these results are. It's better exactly. Not, exactly. You know. Well, even um, the even the panel you saw that I was on at NoCo Hemp, those guys on the panel all use my product, you know, but it didn't come out until they're talking to the crowd, you know. But it's like, but that's that's what helps make their product that much more effective because they were microbe guys, you know, and we're a home for microbes. I mean, there's so many different things the biochar can focus on. We make an excellent home for microbes for everybody that believes microbes are the next hottest thing. Uh, we bind in nutrients. So depending on what where the person's focus is, we can tailor our message that to that farmer. Okay, so you mentioned earlier plastics. Um, Cody actually just dropped a comment a little while ago, but wondering if this is a potential for if there's a potential for biochar to be a solution for microplastics. Okay, I'm assuming what he's talking there is a as a filtration for microplastics. And there has been studies done by universities that show a good quality biochar will filter out microplastics from water. But on the flip side, what we're doing on plastics though more, more uh, is that we can be added as a filler to the junk plastics that are going into the landfill now. Because even when you recycle now, you, you spend all your time recycling, most of that goes in the landfill because there's not a market for all that plastic. You know, the Tide bottles and stuff like that have a market. But classes one through seven, one and two have a market. Everything else goes into your landfill. And people just don't understand that because it's just too weak in boat, you know, to recycle. So what we can do is you can add our carbon to that weak stuff mix it up, melt it down, turn it into new pellets. It turns into a new resin that is actually two and a half times stronger than other resins at half the weight or 47% of the weight. So we take out a lot of the weight. We greatly increase the strength, which allows the junk resins to basically then be used in commercial applications. Yeah. So that's where we add a lot of benefit to, um, like as an example, we're currently in testing with all the well, all the major companies like for plastic pallets or plastic lumber because if you can reduce if you can increase the strength of a plastic pallet by quite a bit more and take the weight out then that helps you know freight you know everything in transportation same thing on plastic lumber uh in canada they've just awarded the a contract for 5g to a certain company and part of the deal is they have to come up with uh junk plastic into the uh, telephone towers or cell phone towers well to make it work our biochar is going to be used so there's a lot of little niches where you're trying where people are trying to force uh 
force benefits. But once again, to answer Cody's question, there is data out there that biochar will bind microplastics out of the water treatment systems. That's incredible. Well, I'm even more intrigued about plastics. Like I, I want to talk more about this. Oh, <laughs> I, you're welcome. I mean, you're welcome industry. to talk all you want about it. In fact, I literally, uh, literally this morning, uh, we're, we're, I just got back test data from a major, major, major corporation that provides a lot of the componentry uh, to the automobile industry. And we're moving forward in a very big way. Uh, we had to get by a couple of legal issues, which you always have to with these large corporations, you know, because it's like, so, you know, but uh, no, it's extremely, extremely intriguing stuff. Uh, and then we're also working with the major railroads. I mean, in a perfect world, if you can imagine this, we take the used railroad ties in, we uh, turn them into a pure carbon, destroy all the toxins in our emission control system. We don't, we break them down to elemental molecules so there's no toxic emissions. And then you use that carbon right back into plastic railroad ties, make them strong enough to withstand. It, become, it can become a virtuous circle. So there's so many areas where you can do virtuous circles, take stuff out of the landfill, keep it out of the oceans. Cause you know, look, if there's a market People will quit throwing stuff on the ground and then quit, quit going, you know. So if you create a market, instead of telling people not to do anything, if you say, dude, you're throwing away money, then all of a sudden a lot less will go into the oceans. And uh, so that's where we're working on these virtuous circle deals. Talk to me about hemp plastic and biochar, right? There's a lot of movement from mm -hmm. the polymer-based um, or polyethylene to you know, hemp plastics, where does biochar fall in, you know, in this research piece? Yeah, I did. In fact, what's ironic, I just signed an NDA this morning with a company doing a major move in hemp plastic. Um, so I can't name the company. But what we do, here's the problem. And here's where we add a solution. Okay. The problem with current plastic lumber, whether it's wood fiber, hemp fiber, or whatever, you can have a mold issue because mold will grow on on you know the lignans in the in the herd or the sawdust if it's you're using wood well when you carbonize it mold can't grow on our carbon there's nothing there to grow there's no lignin it's just carbon you know so the mold can't grow and then so you can either carbonize the hemp to use that in plastic or you add the carbon to the herd when you're going into the plastics to increase strength and kind of cut down on the, some of the mold risk. So we can either be added to the herd to increase the strength, or if you carbonize it in our system, then basically you've got the strength and no no potential of mold growing into the plastic lumber. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and of course, all I'm thinking is the medical field for plastics, right? To be able to... Yeah. I mean, we make a pure... We, we make a pure carbon when it comes out it's totally pure and it's totally you know it's clean i guess if you harvested it with clean suits you can do anything you want with it but yeah uh but where the people i'm working with in the hemp plastic is for like lumber and stuff trying to get major markets i mean i'm, I'm sure you can get specialized you know do like little blunt containers or whatever but i mean you know you know you got to get rid of it you got to get rid of fields of this stuff. The, the Native Americans are looking at planting hundreds of thousands of acres and they're not looking at, you know, little niche products. They're looking at stuff that can basically move massive amounts of industrial hemp. 
I also look at, you know, these industrial markets for the textiles and the yeah. coating they put on their boat tarps and their. Or the dark. feed, the hemp feed is going to be massive. Sure. massive. I'm working with companies that are doing hemp feed. Um, you can't do that. And uh, let's put it this way. On Native American soil, it's a sovereign nation. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of good work being done on feed and they're getting incredible prices for the beef. I mean, I can tell you $3.50 a pound on the hoof for hemp fed beef, uh, which is amazing to me. And then I realized, you know, I know the FDA is not allowing it out in the real world, but uh, on the Indian reservation, they can do it. Well, and everything you see, I know like the Hemp Feed Coalition is working hard at it also and organizations like that to bring light to it. Um, I well, when there's money, when there's money like that available and it's a better beef, it's better quality and everything else, sooner or later, the FDA has to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. You know, and well, we're, we've been certified as organic animal feed additive. We had to go around the FDA with the last administration, but they got the USDA to approve us and exempt us from FDA oversight. So we had to go a different route, but and I didn't even think about using the Native American lands. Right. Well, what a journey you've been on. You know, where do you see, where do you see yourself in five years? Where are you guys headed? And uh, Try to get as big as we can and solve as many problems as we can. Um, you know, that's it. I mean, because we really, if we're gonna keep populating this earth the way we're doing, uh, we've got to figure out a way to feed people without cutting down all, you know, turning everything into ag land. So we can greatly increase the yield. We've got to clean up the messes. I mean, I'm born and raised, come from South Louisiana. There aren't any old people down there. Or if they're old, they've already survived cancer. You know, it's just because it's such a toxic environment. Uh, I mean, when I'd go visit my parents before they passed, there wasn't anybody over 60 that hadn't had a cancer in there. Well, we lived in a poorer neighborhood. Uh, you know, so, you know, I mean, I'd see they, they'd have chemical spill in the bayou and they'd go out and pick the fish out with a net, you know, and eat the fish. It's like, what are you doing? You know, but that's just the environment. That's the way it is in this world in certain areas. They're just dumping grounds and that's all got to get cleaned up and we can do it. We can do it. Just got to uh, and we can do it cost effectively and we can do it while getting rid of other waste. That's the irony. Like if you get rid of a toxic piece of lumber or dead trees that would all the carbon would have went back in the air. It's not like we're going out cutting down virgin forests. We're, our, this company was totally built around waste wood, whether it's a dead tree, an old crate, pallet, railroad tie, whatever. The idea is divert the waste wood. Give you a factoid that always amazes me. One sixth of all the trees cut down in the US go to make pallets. And the average turn on a pallet is less than two turns. So just stop and think about that. All that waste wood that was going to landfills so we can, and we are diverting it currently in Colorado, um, you know, that we can turn into a carbon that literally just survived to make a little over one turn on a pallet, you know, but things like that, people don't, they, I never realized one sixth of all the trees cut down went to make pallets, but that's a lot of wood that just would go into the landfill and convert into methane, you know, and we're working, we're working currently like with a group in Northern Florida, they, uh, all that blow down timber from Hurricane Michael, you know, you can go convert that into carbon. I mean, they're currently piling it up and burning it. That's just putting it right back in the air. The, all these little niches all around the country. All, well, the fire all these big, 
you know, land hurricanes and tornadoes. That yeah, just and we're we're chasing we're chasing uh, fires now. These massive forest fires. We're working to put a, to. We can use those charred trees. I mean, I'm fighting with the government trying to harvest them, but that's another story. But we can go in and clean up uh, uh, basically a burnt forest, you convert that further into our carbon. But more importantly, remove those snags and those trees out of the forest where the sun can hit the uh, hit the ground and the forest can regenerate a lot quicker. Because if you just leave the this overpopulated these forests are that are getting burnt, you know, it's just going to take forever to repopulate because the, the land has been sterilized, um, you know, and you just got to get that stuff out of there where the sun can, and the rain and the wind can do its job. So I, you know, after we talk and the more that I've looked into this and understanding hemp and where my passion is, you know, for me, it's like, well, why aren't we using this? You know, what are the objections you're hearing and what is, What's this hiccup that's stopping everybody from using a good biochar or from utilizing this as a tool to clean up the lakes? Um, well, it's education. And then it's like I said earlier, it's a lot of people out there selling bogus product. Look, if you think the hemp is a scatterbrained snake oil industry right now, if you Google biochar, there's a million hits. And when we're the only one that's, got the legal approvals that we have out of over a million hits. I mean, I think we, 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 we're way above hemp and snake oil people in our industry. And, uh, you know, but that's, that, it's just, it's just going to take time shaking. Sh you just like the hemp, all the guys who thought they were going to get in and make a million bucks and lied to everybody. They're gone, you know, and same thing's got to happen in our industry. And I even saw today, there was a company put out a press release. They just raised a couple of million dollars. And they said they were the first ones to make, uh, you know, basically what their press release was. They're the first ones to make biochar for water filtration. This industry has been doing that for forever, uh, forever. And but they were able to raise a couple of million bucks and put out a press release with all the bogus stuff on it. Two of the largest financial scams in the last decade were biochar scams. You know, companies that raised hundreds of millions of dollars and never produced one pound of biochar. So it kind of reminds you of the hemp, right? All these guys, you know, out there going to raise all this money, buy all this seed, and, you know, and never did anything. So that's where we're at. But it's shaking out now. And it just took a while for the for all the testing to get done because we were not publicizing anything we were doing. Because if I put out a press release, next thing I knew, or if I gave somebody a PowerPoint, then some other company had my PowerPoint with their name on it. You know? um, well, and there's been a lot of attention brought to cleanup and brought yes. more and not just in biochar. You know, you look at the documentaries that are around the water oh, condition of our yes. water and the condition. I mean, it takes massive education to bring attention to things that we don't touch and see and feel. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you. And everything's polluted. Look, here in Colorado, I live, we, we operate not far from Rocky Mountain National Park. Mm -hmm. They are finding massive nutrient pollution at, in alpine lakes above, where nothing can get to it. But it's even coming from rain. I mean, you know, the pollution is just everywhere. Um, and that's what it takes. And now, finally, the science is catching up, showing people that this is bad. I mean, you know, because... 
you know, when we were young, when I was young, not you, but when I was young, you know, a lot of the things now that we know is bad, that was what we were recommended to do. You know, that we didn't know, you know, but science is finally catching up. And, you know, it's cheaper now to clean up the problem than to hide the problem. So finally it's gotten to that stage. Well, it's finally bad enough. It's you can't hide it, right? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think it's finally our our consumers are finally educated enough. And I can tell you, I am guilty of not being educated as to where my clothes are made or how damaging the dye is or where the waters. You know, I, I didn't know. Equally as yeah. much, I would probably be a vegetarian if I had to raise my own. Well, meat I mean, they, they destroyed the hemp industry way back when. Because it was so effective, you know, I mean, it, you know, the pharmaceutical guys couldn't make money and, you know, the oil guys couldn't make money. So they destroyed those industries. Now they've come back full circle. So uh, same thing. I mean, you know, with us, you know, sooner or later, you realize that you can't keep piling, piling up the waste in landfills and hope it stays out of the water and things like that. And then, you know, what's amazing now is like, like in California, they're banning treated wood from the landfills. So I can make more money converting the treated wood into carbon than I can than I make selling the carbon just because they have to do something with it. Sure. Yeah. You know, so the, you know, it's taken a long time, but the, you know, education is caught up and action is caught up. And look, at the end of the day, the, uh, the horse is out of the barn, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Like, I couldn't give away carbon credits before this last election and Trump's administration helped us greatly. So don't take, I mean, he put out an executive yeah. order in support of our company. He did all he could, but he was limited because nobody would listen to him. Uh, but now, I mean, literally the carbon credits I'm, I can sell are worth 30 times what they were before the election. You know, it's just that, that kind of, uh, you know, because, and now people are scrambling. Because they have to figure out a car. And after you have four years of this, that genie's not going back in the bottle. You know, even if it goes back, it's still, I mean, it's, it can't, it's, it's advanced too far. Same thing like with the cleanups, you know, like everybody's realizing these chemicals go into your landfill and they end up in your water eventually. Or, you know, because even if it's a good managed landfill, you know, that's fine. But, you know, I mean, like in Louisiana, you know, they just, you know, it was it was what it was. There's still a lot of parts of the country you throw it in the ground and it eventually leaches into the, your water supply. Those things, those days, you have to be, you know, it's all getting cleaned up now or attempts to at being cleaned up. Like in the new bill, they want to remove all the lead water pipes. There's money in there to do that. So once you've got to that tipping point, now hopefully it doesn't go so far to the other side that it hurt, you know, snaps back. But you know, you know how it is. We've both been through. We've both been through a few cycles. <laughs> well, that's even, though, even though scary. even though you're even though you're still 29, we're, we've been both through a few cycles, right? I'll be 29 forever. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I and that's well, that's what's scary to me is kind of knowing now and understanding what's where we're really at and how how far behind we really are on our cleanup and the seriousness of what we have to do and, and what, what yeah. we don't. Well, and, yeah. And what's scary, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, like I told you earlier, now they, they throw too much money at things. Like I saw this morning, the Florida lawmakers want $200 million to fix that lake that's leaking. Well, I could have cleaned it up for a hundred grand. Okay, so some of these things have got to get, you know, just the educational get out there. You know, it'll so take time. Yeah. it'll take time, you know. How, how until then, until then I'll tell them I can clean up for 190 million, right? <laughs> yes, heck, even 100 million. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, but it's, uh, Just, but no, it's interesting though. But in groups like yours, you're getting the word out to a lot of people. That's that's all that matters is education. Yeah. Well, and however we can continue to support you, you know, I would love to do a QA panel and actually talk a little bit more about this and bring an audience, you know, some of our group, give people an opportunity to ask questions and really dive into why and how and what. Um, yeah. So I'd and love to do, offer that yeah. as well. And, and we do a lot in the hemp industry. We I gave us, after NOCO, I gave a speech at the Oklahoma Hemp last weekend. Then I'm going down to Florida for the Florida Hemp. So anytime we're invited, we give speeches at uh, and presentations at hemp conferences because the two two goes so well together. Is it the Florida U.S. Hemp Growers Expo or whatever? In Orlando. The yeah, one in Orlando. Yeah. I'll see so you there. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm get, starting get, to make my rounds again. I'm so glad events are out and <laughs> it's so much different. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, however I can help support you, you stay in touch. Let me know. I shared your contact information, like I said. So anybody that's looking to reach out to James, don't hesitate to do so. Or call me if you have questions or need anything. Um, find us at globalhempassociation.org. And again, all of our content, past interviews, videos, everything like that is available on Patreon. So, yeah. And uh, we're an open book. So if anybody has any questions, be happy to answer them. Let's say email them in or whatever. You know, we, there's nothing here secret. Everything's patented. So if you find yourself in Northern Colorado, you want to see how this is made, drop by. Awesome. 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 James, thank you so much for your time. I'll be in touch and holler at me. Thank you. You have a good one. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.